Since the recording of this podcast, Madeline Wills has retired from her position as president and CEO of the Hudson River Park Trust, but she leaves behind a great legacy that many nonprofit organizations can learn from. And here's her story. Welcome to the latest episode of Schneps Connects. I'm your host, Josh Schneps. I'm happy to have with me today on the show, Madeline Wills, who's the president and CEO of the Hudson River Park Trust, who I was very fortunate to get uh, the VIP treatment, the golf cart tour when uh, we first met uh, of the park. Um, This year, more than ever before, Hudson River Park's four plus miles of open space, which runs all the way from on the South Chamber Street, all the way up to West 59th Street. It's really been uh, an essential source of well-being and strength and a lifeline for New Yorkers, lifting our spirits in, in this very difficult year to be outdoors in nature. Madeline runs the trust, which is a state authority in partnership with the city of New York and is responsible for developing, managing and operating what is a 550 acre waterfront park. Over the last nine years, Madeline has overseen over $1 billion of private public partnerships and the completion of the park is now within reach Madeline's background includes work on projects such as Hunters Point South, Coney Island, and Willits Point, among others. She has also had a role in improving the East River Ferry Service, was president of the Tribeca Film Institute, and served as chair of Community Board One in Lower Manhattan. She was instrumental in rebuilding Lower Manhattan post 9-11 and feels strongly that the city will recover from pandemic as it did with 9-11. Her experience in working and helping to develop lower and the west side of Manhattan is unparalleled. So I'm very fortunate to have someone like her on the show today and in the lives of all New Yorkers. So welcome, Madeline. Great to have you on the program. Thank you for your introduction, Josh. Nice to see you. Now it's my pleasure. So I would love to hear more about you and have uh, our listeners just learn a little bit more about you know, your career and your background, if you don't mind sharing a bit. Well, I've had a, a bit of an unusual career in that I started off in media. Uh, and I was a television producer for many years. And it, it, this shows my age. I actually put Larry King on the air, Charlie yeah, Rose on the yeah. air. I did mostly talk in what they called at the time magazine shows and, um, and a couple of made-for-television movies. But I was always interested in local uh, civics. Mm-hmm. And uh, I became very interested in uh, what was happening at Battery Park City when it was being built. And I got involved and I was asked to join uh, the community board by actually the local business group. Um, and I was appointed uh, when David Dinkins was a borough president. So it's a long time ago and kind of figured out um, how to have community boards actually get things done through developers. And I think that that was unusual at the time and uh, uh, yet successful. And then obviously uh, 9-11 happened. I was the chair, newly elected chair. Mm -hmm. uh, And I was actually appointed by Governor George Pataki to be the only resident on the Low Manhattan Development Corporation. And that became my life's goal. And at that point, I decided to leave the media business and close my company. Um, I had previously worked for uh, Time Inc. and the Washington Post Company, but I decided that 
this needed my full-time attention. So talk to me about how the Hudson River Park Trust um, was established. And, you know, I think you're known for getting things done. And I, I think a lot of that comes along with embracing this public-private collaborations. So could you share a little bit about that as well? I will skip rapidly through this, but I actually got involved with the Hudson River Park before it was Hudson River Park in the 90s when, uh, and I was chosen to be the um, chair of the, at that point, the Hudson River Park Conservancy Advisory Group. And what I decided my role would be was to have the communities that were suing over having this park get built and figuring out how to have them stand down. And I did that actually quite effectively. Um, the Hudson River Park Act was signed. Um, I was appointed as a first board member by then Borough President Virginia Fields. So I've been involved with the park forever. It's been a part of my DNA. Hmm. Uh, when I was on the Lower Manhattan Development Corporation, I advocated for uh, $72 million to be uh, provided to the Hudson River Park for recovery uh, because it was a project in Lower Manhattan and because uh, the Tribeca part was being used for the World Trade Center recovery uh, at the time. Um, that's where the materials, a lot of the materials uh, came out through uh, from the World Trade Center out through uh, Pier 25 before that was built into uh, onto barges and then left the area. So, um, so Hudson River Park has always been my in my DNA. I was um, <clears throat> then went on to be president of the Tribeca Film Institute after 9/11, and that was an exciting um, project to uh, be involved in. I was hired by the which was a surprise by the New York City Economic Development Corporation under Mayor Bloomberg. And I think that's because they saw that I was able to get things done. I advocated very hard uh, at LMDC and at um, the community board uh, for the recovery of Lower Manhattan. And, you know, I, I have a seat at the table, which was unusual for a community person. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think they thought I was very effective at that. And they, they hired me. And I spent four years with really the interest of not just doing projects in the five boroughs, but making sure that the waterfronts were redeveloped. And I think I did a pretty good job with that, with uh, East River, Waterfront, Hunters Point South, Coney Island, Homeport um, home in Staten Island, and um, a variety of other projects. And then I led the effort for the citywide ferry service. And the day before I left, we launched the East River Ferry Service. Mm. And um, I went on to Hudson River Park from there. So, as far as private, working with the private sector, so I feel like a lot of people in your roles and also many other nonprofits in all different industries, they could be very good organizers, but they don't get fundraising. They don't understand either how important it is or they don't know how to ask. So how have you had success really raising money, which has enabled a lot of these projects to move forward? Well, I think first you have to have a vision. <laughs> and it all starts with a vision and how well you can relay that vision. And then 
the people want to know, can you deliver that vision? And uh, so um, very shortly after I took this job um, and the park was not in great shape at the time, uh, for instance, a project like Pier 54, which is now Little Island, the pier was literally falling in the river mm. <laughs> when I was there, piece by piece. And I thought, well, maybe we could build another pier. The, I, I knew we were not going to get any money. It was immediately from the city or state that there were other projects that were newer, fresher um, for government at the time. And I, I knew I would have to find some private money first. So the idea, honestly, with Pier 54, uh, my idea was let's build, since the pier is falling in the river, we have to build a new pier. What if we could build a pier in a slightly more recreation-friendly uh, shape? Long, narrow piers are hard to get on and get off. It's hard for emergency vehicles. Um, and I thought, what if we could build it a little wider, a little higher, um, and make it much better for recreation? I mean, clearly Little Island has gone way beyond that, but, um, but that was my vision. And I could see that uh, Barry Diller um, had been interested in the park. He was interested in helping the park. Uh, he knew Diana Taylor. I don't think he intended to help the park like this, <laughs> but mm -hmm. after several meetings with him, he became more and more enrolled to do something. And then his interest was doing something even bigger. I don't think anyone intended to spend that kind of money, but it just um, it kept building and building. And Barry is very ambitious and clearly an, an incredibly successful person. And um, he wanted to do something extraordinary. So to elaborate a little bit, Pier 54 is currently under construction. It is gonna be you know, a more magnificent recreational site with uh, embracing the arts. But if you could give a little bit more elaboration, because I think it's really phenomenal that A, you were able to secure the funding privately to, to make that happen, because could you imagine trying to get the money in, in today's uh, economy? I mean, no, this project literally never happened. So no. just elaborate a little bit more, because the, the renderings themselves are breathtaking in terms of when it's going to open and the type of programming that's going to be on Pier 54. Well, Little Island is almost finished. And I think what's extraordinary about Little Island is that you don't even have to go on it to see <laughs> what an icon it is. It is an engineering feat. It took us years to figure out whether we could actually build it or not. Hmm. Um, we went through a lot of, it, you know, it's one thing when an architect gives you a, you know, a, a rendering and it's another whether the engineers can figure out, can this actually be built? So it actually took probably two years to figure out if this could be done. Um, and clearly we found a way through all the engineers uh, to, to make it happen. Um, so in that itself, it is one of the more extraordinary uh, icons because uh, it rises out of the river and it, it rises to 62 feet, which is 
very unusual for a pier, an island, whatever you want to call it. My idea was to, after Sandy, my idea was to raise it to 15 feet, uh, to start it at 15 feet uh, so that it would be above the future floodplain. And that, that was the reason it was moved 186 feet out into the river because in order to have it ADA compliant uh, and have a grade that a wheelchair could use, um, we had to move it out into the river. And talk about some of the programming that's gonna be planned there. The program is going to be really quite wonderful because it won't be like any, any other program in that it is being contextually, uh, it is Barry Tolley gets it's a park first. So a lot of the programming, you have the, the amphitheater and you will have mm -hmm. programs going on there that are both ticketed and non-ticketed. But there'll be a lot of pop-up experiences that seem much more uh, fluid that you may not expect. You may just be on the pier and then you'll happen onto a type of performance. Um, so it's going to be very much a performance that's integrated into a recreational pier, unlike anything uh, I believe that you will see. Yeah, it's quite magnificent. It's not meant to explain on a podcast. It's it's certainly very visual. If you want to see a rendering online, or obviously, you know, you'll have to come down and visit it when it's open. But it really is quite magnificent. Right. Yeah. So this past September, you opened up Pier Twenty Six. Right on Pier Twenty Six, and that was another one. I went to Citigroup because they were moving the headquarters across the street, and um, and they also needed something from the community because they wanted to build their headquarters. And I convinced them that building Pier 26 would be what the community, what the community would want. And frankly, uh, Mike Corbett, the president of City, he was pretty spectacular about it. And um, he totally became engaged as did others. And uh, with that $10 million, I was able to go to, to the uh, uh, city of New York and the Lower Manhattan Development Corporation and pull the money together. It took, a, again, that took, took a few years to pull the money together because every, because there were partners and everybody wanted to make sure everyone else was really in it. Mm -hmm. So these things, you know, rate, it's very simple when you get an allocation from government to build something. It's much more complicated when you're trying to get resources from several different places. And everybody wants to make sure they're going to be uh, funding at the same time, mm -hmm. to pull out. So, um, but I have to say that Pier 26 is a very beautiful pier that I could not believe the reaction that we got People just love it. Um, it's our ecological pier. No one knew what that would mean. I had an idea a few years ago about building a, basically a wetland out into the river. And I was told, no, it could never happen. Hmm. But then after many meetings with the New York State Department of Environmental Conservation, they thought, let's give it a shot. And it's worked. It works. 
And uh, what street is that off of? Just to get that's people Lake Street in Tribeca, and that will be really the most extraordinary um, tool for environmental education. And our River Project team has already started taking uh, uh, students, adults out uh, into the tidal deck. Uh, we already have this wonderful habitat, jellyfish um, growing in these tidal pools. So it, it, by the spring, it's going to be quite fantastic. And your website has a great map, which outlines all the piers and where yes. they are and what mm -hmm. activations are on each, which is terrific. But besides those two, you have several other projects in the pipeline, yes. um, including Gansevoort Pier, it's the peninsula. It's the only peninsula in the park. It's not a pier. It's actually on ground, which is nice. Um, and we're going to be breaking ground on that probably uh, at the end of April. Fantastic. And that will be the largest piece of recreational uh, land in the park at a five and a half acres. And it, again, it... The design will be spectacular, just like 26. Everything is unlike uh, Little Island, but in the, in the perspective of what these things cost, this will be no, nonetheless uh, an incredible piece of uh, architecture. And that's because we're, we're building a beach on the southern end. There will, it'll be a a rugged beach because we have to hold up the peninsula, but it'll be filled with uh, sand. Um, once you get onto the beach, there'll be salt marshes on the north side. It's, it's gonna be quite beautiful. And then we go um, probably the month after and we are, uh, we'll break ground on Pier 97. So we're completing those construction uh, documents right now. And that will be also in its own, a very beautiful pier. Uh, and then we're redoing Chelsea Waterside Park uh, into a much more park friendly type of design. And that will have an expanded dog run and uh, a large picnic area. We've already done uh, this um, wonderful playground that uh, for the first time we actually uh, used a company in Denmark to build the play equipment um, and called Monstrum. And we have this big pipefish <laughs> um, piece in the center of the playground, which uh, the kids just love. Madeline, I don't think there's too many people that could say they put so many stamps on the footprint of Manhattan. I think it is really, uh, I am um, privileged to have been able to do this. And, and there's much more. I mean, there's, there's a lot more planned, right? Because you recently will be uh, taking control of Pier 76, which is the NYPD tow pound. Yes, so I feel like this is a project that never ends. <laughs> yes. Uh, so these are, oh, and um, yes, these are projects that are they're complicated. And um, there will be an interim park use. Uh, that will happen in the next year um, so that people will be able to use the pier. Eventually, the pier will have to be rebuilt, um, and that will take uh, an effort that will need to have a, a commercial use to help pay for it. And um, 
but it's such a big pier at six acres. Um, there, there's plenty of room for what the community wants on that pier uh, eventually, and also uh, room for commercial use uh, that will help fund the pier. So that's the interim use will be done uh, within a year. And that's also uh, exciting. And then at the end of 2021, Pier 57 will open. Mm. And that's gonna be really quite something. That's where Google will be, but um, the first floor is filled with public space. Um, there's a, a park on the roof that's open to the public. Uh, there'll be a perimeter uh, that you can walk around the pier, but inside, uh, the first floor, there'll be a public market, there'll be a lot of public space, there'll be a new home for the Hudson River Parks River Project classrooms and exhibit space. So it's, it's going to be, again, another spectacular project. So clearly you rely a lot on fundraising and I'm sure volunteers also. How can people get involved in the Hudson River Park? Well, if you go on our website, our new, new website, uh, you can uh, find Hudson River Park Friends. We have thousands of volunteers. We need volunteers to keep the park beautiful. Uh, that's www.hudsonriverpark.org. Um, and um, we, um, we have uh, wonderful volunteers who help uh, plant, mulch, help keep the spaces beautiful. And um, we have a lot of corporate um, advocates for the park. So it is um, uh, uh, with 550 acres of land and water, we, we need all the help we can get. Madeline, you have great vision. And you know, I think most importantly, you know, figuring out ways to get things done and working with uh, the private sector for them to be able to benefit the public. And you really have made the West Side a magnificent destination. Uh, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Well, thank you for your time and sharing all about Hudson River Park. And we very much look forward to uh, coming there, me and my family, because you have so many great family activities. Yes, we have some, some of the most wonderful playgrounds in Hudson River Park. So bring your kids when it gets a little bit warmer. Thank you again. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Make sure to subscribe to Schneps Connects wherever you get your podcasts or stream us online at podcast.schnepsmedia.com.